And the Word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. So let us at the beginning of a new year place these words on the watch posts of our hearts and minds. Let us open our souls to the light contained in them, light enough, more than enough, to mark the way for us in this new year. If it's not happened already for most of us, soon enough we will put away the trees and the ornaments, the lights and the blow-up lawn displays, even the nativity sets with their assorted casts of news-bearing shepherds and gift-bearing magi, along with various and sundry animals, quiet Jesus, pondering Mary, and yes, even baby Jesus, put away for another year. And I suspect more than one of us will pause to remember what it felt like to put all those decorations up and then take them down again at the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, completely unaware as we opened the attic and trudged them to their animal resting places, what that year, the new year then, would bring oblivious to the emergence of a virus that would lock down huge portions of of the country for the better part of a year that would kill to date 350,000 Americans, that would throw us all onto something called Zoom, which most of us had not heard of until 2020, that would witness the horrific killing of George Floyd, a black man, a killing that would send people to the streets in protest in all 50 states and tens of millions in protest around the world, and seeing an election season rivaling among the worst in our history in terms of vitriol and division. Most of us, I think it's fair to say, did not see it coming, any of it, at the beginning of the new year a year ago. And something came to mind a few weeks ago to me. Do you remember how when the virus had taken hold and it became clear the magnitude of its toll on us, how some around us wanted to do a Christmas do-over? Do you remember that? We were encouraged to get the Christmas decorations back out, to put up the lights in April and leave them up as a reminder of hope. It was an admirable thought but I'm glad that it really never took hold with most. And I, for one, am looking forward to putting all the stuff away this year. I am with John this morning, both the baptizer and the gospel writer. It's time for baby Jesus to be put to bed. Not because there's anything wrong with the baby Jesus, but because sooner or later the grown-up Jesus needs to speak and to act. And for us today, perhaps even more so, the Word made flesh needs space in our hearts and minds and homes, in the marketplace, in the world. 
to light the way. Some of you may remember the spoof of a prayer that the character Ricky Bobby did in the movie Talladega Nights. He's played as a race car driver by Will Ferrell, and he's leading a prayer before the meal, and he addresses his prayer to little baby Jesus. He calls him, Dear eight pounds, six ounces, newborn infant Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, don't even know a word yet. He proceeds to pray an obscene and ridiculous prayer to this version of Jesus, which he announces is his favorite version. Now, I know most people do not look to Talladega Nights for theological reflection. But it seems to me the movie does a deft, satirical take on why exactly we need John's word-made flesh why we need a grown-up Jesus who does know words. Otherwise, we can make Jesus into our own image and put our own words into His mouth and our own ego in place of His light. But today we hear that little baby Jesus is the place where the Word is made flesh where earth is touched with heaven, a word that transcends all our words, that scatters the darkness of the world and of our hearts, a word that invites not only the acceptance of the adult Jesus, but also His rejection. In the Gospel of John, the invitation is always before us. Will we accept this Jesus? Will we believe in Him? Which is to say, will we trust in Him? Will we see in Him the very face of God? Will we walk in His way, guided by His light? John's Gospel proclaims that all people, all people, whether they believe it or not, that all people live in a world illuminated by the light. Just as they live in a world created by the Word. The invitation is to trust in the light, to walk in it, and thereby to become children of the light. The Word is a manifestation, an epiphany of heaven, which is not to say a place that's far away from us with golden streets and pearly gates, But the very presence of God in God's fullness and glory in that baby Jesus who grows into a man, yes, but is also here and now in grace and in truth. Another good theologian, not often considered as such, is Emily Dickinson and her little poem called A Word is Dead. A word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. The word that is present with God and is God from the very beginning is only just beginning to be spoken in Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ continues to speak. His light shines in the darkness And the darkness has not overcome it. 
John says this word is not just some ethereal mist from the beginning of time. The word has content. And John calls this content at root grace and truth. You know heaven touching earth when you know something of God's generosity, God's grace, which is at the heart of our faith. It is this gift, this grace, that makes a life following the way possible at all. Grace displaces our egos. It ushers in humility. It is the ground of love. Novelist Nicholas or Douglas Copeland writes of it when he says, My secret is that I need God. That I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me learn how to give because I no longer seem capable of giving. To help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Such honesty is the opening for grace. Generosity, kindness, love. None of us on our own can walk in this way. All of us, along with Copeland, will fall short. If we do live this way at all, it is because of the founts of God's Word in us. Grace and truth, John says. There is no truth without grace. Likewise, deceit marks a discarding of grace, a forgetting of that which grounds us in the way. The grown-up Jesus was full of grace, to be sure. His love and kindness and generosity shined the light of God's welcoming grace upon all. Especially those who had been consigned to the outer darkness because of things like their gender or their race or their economic status. But that same grace was also truth-telling. When the light shines, those who benefit from the darkness because, as Jesus will say elsewhere in John, their deeds are evil, they are exposed. And that exposure poses a crisis for them and for a world that often covers itself in lies, will they, will we all, stand in the light, tell the truth about ourselves and about this world in which we live, and see, really see, the heaven that has always been right there, even amidst the lies and the darkness, waiting for us to awaken to it. I have seen that awakening in you this past year in so many ways, in your own truth-telling and generosity and kindness and love. And let's not kid ourselves. The virus is still with us. The racial reckoning in this nation is still unfolding. The election being over does not mean we are no longer divided. And yet, in the midst of all of this, The light still shines. Let us accept it, trust in it, walk in it, 
Let us continue in this year, 2021, to write those words, grace and truth, on the doorposts of our hearts and minds and welcome this new year knowing, believing, trusting that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. May it be so for all of us. Amen.